Hey, everybody. Um, those words, by the way, uh, are the opening, I think, to the Wham Rap. Everyone remember that? Remember the Wham Rap? Hey, everybody, take a look at me. I got street credibility. I may not have a job, but I have a good time with the boys I meet down on the block. I said, I don't know. Say, you go to school? Who? Uh, whatever. Anyway, hey, it's, uh, it's too lazy. Right. Uh, seventh episode in the quarantine and they're coming at me fast and furious these interviews i love them uh i love the feedback i'm getting from the regular people who listen spread the word the word of the day is leg and you know that joke um okay so this week I'm, I'm, I'm ticking them off one at a time, and eventually, maybe, maybe, you know, if someone up there can hear this, I'm going to get to the man himself. But right now, one of the earliest interviews, I should say, I did was with a man who became a friend of mine, Doug Yule, uh, who uh, drums, who drummed on the uh, last two tours, I believe, with Joe, Joe Jackson. Uh, Doug became a friend. Um Doug also has worked with uh, Suzanne Vega and Duncan Sheik and a number of other people. Uh, and uh, through Doug, I've met some people. And one of those people I met is uh, the man who played lead guitar on the last few tours with Doug. Um, gentleman by the name of Teddy Kumpel. And uh, Teddy is based out of Brooklyn, New York. And uh, during this quarantine, he, like everybody else is in his house. And I texted him and he texted me back and he said, let's interview, let's talk, let's, yeah, let's do this. Um, so I called him the other day and we had a great chat um, about his influences, uh, playing with Joe and touring and, you know, touring all over the world, um, you know, his first band and all of the things you would expect that I would ask. Because you know I'm such a solid interviewer. <laughs> anyway, uh, I've edited it, and I've got it ready for you, and you're going to listen to it, and you're going to love it, because it was an absolute pleasure to talk to Teddy. Uh, and when I come back at the end, I'm going to tell you that you should go to teddyjam.com, T-E-D-D-Y, jam.com, because all of his information is there, and you should maybe befriend him on Facebook, because he does a uh, weekly show called Show with some of his friends. Um, not weekly, pardon me, nightly. And, um, I think, uh, you know, I think you should check him out. He's a super nice guy. Uh, I expected nothing less. And, uh, it was just really wonderful to talk to him. So from the other day, here it is me talking with Teddy Kumpel, um, about, you know, a lot of stuff. Hope you like it. So let me ask you a question off the top. Um, I saw last night, Yesterday you were you were doing an online little jam session with some friends, mm -hmm. and you had a banjo. I'm curious, how many instruments do you play? Um, I really just play things with strings, and sometimes okay. I can hit things. Um, okay, but you know, a banjo. The banjo I have is strung like a guitar, so it's not like any kind of difficult move to do that. Oh, okay. I didn't know you could do that because. I tried playing the banjo. I wasn't good at it, but maybe if I strung it like a guitar, I could do it. There you go. Worth a try. <laughs> yeah. What, so what have you been doing in this 
strange time to pass the time? Uh, for, for me, this isn't strange. It's kind of what I do this time of year anyway, because I have allergy-induced asthma. Okay. Okay. So um, I just I just kind of hunker down from about April 15th to June 1st every year. Okay. Um, this is pretty much the exact same thing I do, except I'm not playing any gigs. <laughs> right. So, Are you... Are you missing that? Are you missing getting out and playing live? Oh my God! Yeah, of course. Yeah. So, so um, I, I want to ask you something, and hopefully this will lead to some other stories you can tell me. But I saw you. Um, it was towards the end of the Fast Forward tour in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and I was lucky enough uh, that Doug had brought my wife and I backstage. And you had some friends there who had shown up. And mm-hmm. I'm wondering, what's that like for you when you get, when your friends come out to a gig? Not, I, I mean, both like on a, you know, at a, at, a, at a bar or when you're playing at a festival, what's that mean to you? Um, what does it mean to me? Yeah. I don't know. I, I like my friends. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not sure how to answer that. I think, um, you know, everybody likes their friends to see them play. Yeah, so it's special for you when when they show up, or is it just routine that they show up? Uh, hopefully, it's routine and it's special when they do. Oh, okay, good answer. Good, I like that. <laughs> and the uh, the suits you wore definitely stood out on that tour. Was that your idea? Hell no, no, <laughs> <laughs> no way, man! I wouldn't be wearing those suits on stage. <laughs> Uh, okay. yeah, Joe has Joe has a very particular thing that he wanted, and that okay. included everybody kind of deciding what they were going to wear. And he asked me what I was going to wear, and I hadn't even thought about it. And I said, uh, "I don't know, maybe a suit." He goes, "Oh, great idea!" He kind of had a bunch of parameters that he thought would be good. And the thing with Joe is with with clothing is you can never wear the same colors that he's wearing. Oh, okay, okay. Which is, you know, good. It's good. It keeps, you know, when there's only four people on stage, I guess that's a, a way of differentiating everybody. So we're not looking like we're, we're wearing a uniform. Right. Um, right. And since he was wearing no tie, I had to wear a tie. And since he was wearing no hat, I had to wear a hat. Oh, okay. Okay. So there's very definite, he has very definite ideas about staging and, and what to wear on stage, which is cool. Was th- was that? And forgive me for not knowing this, but was that tour? Was that one of the longest tours you had been on? Uh, yeah, for sure. That's the that first just... bus tour I've ever been on. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I didn't set out to be a touring musician at all when I started. When I moved to New York in 1988, I really wanted to be in the studio all the time and working on producing and and learning how to mix and stuff like that. Okay. Um, I really didn't have much interest in going on the road. Didn't seem, you know, it seemed fun, but like over the long haul, it didn't seem like something that would be sustainable like physically. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. Um, I can attest to that after last year's six month long tour of the world, that it's incredibly grueling on your body and your soul to be stuck in a, a silver tube for six months at a clip. And and you guys just weren't limited to North America, like you said. That took you. That tour took you everywhere. No, really, just U.S. and Europe. Okay. We didn't okay. 
too far from that. I was I was um, following Doug on Facebook, and you guys seem to enjoy your off days when you were in Europe. A lot of great pictures. Well, Doug is just a joy to have on the road because he's full of energy and enthusiasm, and he's very inspiring as a person. Um, so it's great to have somebody like that who you can pal around with and, and go check out all the sites. And he's always got a plan of what he wants to see in the town where he landed. <laughs> and uh, I kind of did too, but I, not to the extent that he did. He's really, right. he's, plus he's been all those places already because he's a touring musician all the time. Right, right. Would you yeah. uh, tour again if the opportunity uh, showed itself? Well, you know, John, the music business has changed. I don't know if you've noticed that. <laughs> um, yeah. So you really, you know, you really can't decide what you're going to do anymore in some ways. Uh, you can, but um, it's so different that um, I think around uh, 2008 or nine, I just said, you know what? Uh, all the publishing is going downhill. All the, um, all the, Music houses were wanting buyouts for TV commercials and TV music. Mm-hmm. Um, records weren't paying as much. Movies, the budgets got cut like 75%, which means my paycheck got cut at least that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so touring seemed like a good, it's like the only thing left it was right. still paying the same as it always did. And, you know, of course it's not paying much higher than it used to, but at least it's paying what it used to. Um, so around then I started taking more road gigs and kind of touring around the world. Okay. Um, stuff, yeah. And, and who else were those road gigs with? I played with Martha Redbone for a pretty long time, a couple of years. Um, and we would do mostly van tours or some fly dates. Um, I did a month with Ricky Lee Jones. Okay. This is interesting. And um, I don't know. I can't remember. It's all a fog. (laughs) Now, I'm just curious because I know um, that Joe had produced, I think it was for no one, with Ricky Lee Jones. Is there a connection there? Is that, or how did, um, or did you just, how did you end up touring with Joe? Joe wrote an email to about 30 people and the email said something like, uh, I'm looking for a guitar player who can sing and is good with effects okay. and he knows how to play with a piano. Okay. And my friend Andy Ezrin, who used to play in Joe's band on the night and day two tour in like early two thousands. Yeah. Sent me the EP forwarded the email to me and just said, Hey, you should try out for this. I said, Oh yeah. I like Joe Jackson. Sure. Why not? Oh, okay. so um, so the thing about that email was that was pretty cool was that Joe didn't BCC anybody, so everybody's email and names were in the in the body of the email. Okay, and I knew probably half of them, so I just wrote to you know a bunch of them and said, "Hey, can you recommend me for this?" And then I wrote Joe an email and said, "Hey, uh, Andy has been forwarded me this email, and, and see, I would love to play your gig." I'd love to try out for it. Uh, let me know if you're interested. And he wrote me back. He said, "He said, uh, yeah, about ten of my friends recommended you for this gig. It's really strange." <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess I've got to audition you. 
Oh. And uh, there you have it. Wow. And then I, after the uh, audition, a couple of days later, he called me up and said, well, you're the guy. Um, you, you're the guy, and um, thank you for not making me audition anybody else, because I hate auditioning people. Oh, okay. It's a uh, huge honor to hear that was being made. For sure. Did you uh, immediately hit it off with um, with Graham and Doug, or was there a bit of a, a get-to-know-each-other curve? I knew Doug from before. Okay, okay. Yeah. And Doug had already gotten the gig before me. Right. So he sort of reinforced. He was one of the helpers on, on getting me into audition. Okay. And Graham I had never met, but I had heard about forever and always loved his playing. And he's a super nice, easygoing guy, so there was no problem getting along with him. Yeah, yeah, we we were lucky enough to to meet him and Maureen after I think two shows, mm-hmm. um, and it was just I mean, growing up, I was a big fan of of Joe, still am, and so to meet Graham was you know meeting the second in command in my eyes. <laughs> right. Uh, so who who were you listening to growing up? Growing up, uh, <clears throat> well, we only had five records in our house. Okay. <clears throat> Until the time I was probably about nine. Um, and those records were Miles Davis, Skill Evans, Plus 19. Okay. Beatles Revolver. Okay. Um, Mahalia Jackson, Gospel Singer. Tom Lair, the comedy... Sure. Boston guy. And the soundtrack to Oliver. Oh my God. <laughs> that was it. So huge, hugely varied <laughs> records and a bunch yeah. of classical music. Right. H- hugely varied records. Some groovy, some not groovy, some like, you know, all kinds of different things. And I listened to all those records a lot. Okay. Until I was about eight and I started going to the record store in my town and buying 45s of whatever was on the radio. Yeah. Um, but yeah, to say those those five records were hugely influential to me. And um, my mom was a classical piano player, so okay. she'd practice and she'd also play with us and engage us musically. We had a lot of instruments in the house, so we we would try anything and just sing together as a family. And, yeah. Well, and, and where uh, where was this? Where did you grow up? In Long Island. Oh, okay. So not far from where you are right now. That's right. About two hours from there. Yep. Okay. Okay. And I, I saw as I was looking on your Facebook page, you uh you post a lot about Frank Zappa, Dweezil Zappa. Was was he a big influence on you? Yeah, well, you know, after I finished buying top forty records and mm-hmm. um I took classical guitar lessons when I was I think ten. Um then I uh, started discovering rock music and by the time I was about I think 12 I got somebody turned me on to Joe's Garage and okay. Booty, and those were just like everything that was taboo in the house right, right. Was, on, was on that record and things that I had to figure out like I was 12 I didn't know what cornhole was I didn't sure. know what <laughs> wristwatch Crisco was but you know I had to think about that and ask my friend what does that mean yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, um, 
it was a huge influence. I still listen to him. He's amazing. I'm not, I don't love every single record of his. Okay. I'm, more, I'm really much more into the vocal kind of parody songs than the serious instrumental stuff and the, uh, I guess, super avant-garde stuff. I, I really like, um, like Jazz Discharge Party Hats and Dangerous Kitchen. Okay. Okay. Those kind of free form out of times. I don't know if you know those. Those are on uh, Man from Utopia. That came out in 1980. And they're like free form. He just kind of raps and the band follows him and Vinny's playing. So it's like this crazy drumming stuff that's really, it's rhythmic, but it's free form. Anyway, <laughs> those were, I really love that stuff. So, so you would say like Zappa was one of the sort of um, influences that sort of molded you as a, as a musician or were there others? Yeah. I mean, after I went through all the rock guys, like I went through Zeppelin and Kiss and all the prog rock rush and Kansas and sticks and like Queen was a huge influence. Uh, then I got to Zappa and I was like, Oh man, you can do all that and be funny. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's, that's for me. That's amazing. That's amazing. And so then how long have you been sort of like a working, I guess would be the words, right? A working musician? How long have I been a working musician? Meaning how long have I been doing jobs with my instrument? Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Um, I think my first paying gig was, I was about 16. Oh, wow. So I guess that's, and were you like in high school and, and college and whatnot? Were you in bands throughout all that time? I had my first band was called the Pilgrim Players, and I was okay. the leader of it. And we were eight or nine, eight or nine years old. Mm-hmm. Oh wow! And, wow! And we lived we lived on Pilgrim Drive, and so that's why we call it the Pilgrim Players. Okay. And um, we just played like the Eagles and like. Uh, whatever was on the radio. Wow. Um, and then I had a band with a couple of friends in junior high that was, um, we played a lot of different kinds of music. Okay. Uh, like Southern rock and, and prog rock and all kinds of different things. Um, anything from Oliver or no? <laughs> no. <laughs> I totally remember that. That, that was an amazing uh, soundtrack. Were you a, a like were you a fan of musical theater or was it just Oliver? I wasn't a fan of anything in particular. I just had that record in the house, so yeah, there was really no way around it. It's kind of like a default <laughs> kind of thing, you know. So, well, you you just were saying before that you have seasonal allergies. Would that I like I saw. Uh, the band perform. I'm just outside of Washington. I saw you guys perform um, at Wolf Trap, um, which is an outdoor venue. Mm-hmm. Are you? And this was in July, I think. But like, does that worry you when you're performing outdoors? No. Well, most years, except this year, um, yeah. I get a seasonal allergy shot, okay. and it kind of makes it okay. Um, but this year, I couldn't do that because we were yeah. stuck inside. Which, you know, um, 
I think I think it's okay. <laughs> but yeah, I do try not to go outside, even though I get out. I use seasonal allergy shots. What's your uh, like preferred venue? And when you were touring with Joe, was it festivals? Was it uh, halls? I don't know if I saw you. Yeah, that would be where I saw you. Preferred? I mean, just playing the music is good. I don't oh. really care about the venue so much. When the venue has broken down stuff in the dressing room, like you have to ask for outlets and you have to ask for an iron and things like that, it gets kind of difficult. So I'd say those venues are on the bottom end of my list. <laughs> yeah, um, but that's pretty few and far between with him, though. Joe's pretty high class and the places he plays are really good for the most part. Um, we played for 35,000 people in Holland Oh, last year. That was pretty amazing because I don't know if you know anything about the Dutch but they're just music lovers big time they, they, we left the stage and they were singing a song that we played like fourth in the set really? back to us after the encore and we were backstage like almost crying we were like oh my god it's really really impactful um, this was the uh, what was that called it was called Boss Pop <laughs> was there um I, I i know like the time I've, I've seen joe like going back to um the blaze of glory tour and every time i've seen the band and whatever form it's in the songs are always being changed the arrangements mm-hmm. was that laid out for you like were you learning the same song different ways over the course of the tours no, Joe really designs a show from the beginning of the tour. So once you're in that mode, he doesn't really change it too much. Sometimes he would add or take away or, you know, change little things here and there. But for yeah. the most part, if you're doing a tour that has a name, like the Four Decades tour would have a certain arrangements for certain songs. But then if you, between Fast Forward Tour and Four Decades Tour, he changed a lot. Yes, and we play the same song in a totally different way. Um, yeah, well, yeah, because I even think what, one of the things I loved about the um, the Four Decades tour, and uh, please tell me if I'm wrong about this, but it began the first song I think that was played was One More Time, and the last song I think was played was something off of Fool, so it sort of bookended his career. So we played half the song in the beginning. This, right. Uh, Sorry. A song called Al- Alchemy. The one we, right. knew it we played half of the song in the beginning of the set and half the song at the end of the set. And, oh. and he, he wanted to show like, okay, we're going to play something brand new for like two minutes. And then we're going to go into one more time. The first hit that I had the first single off of my first record. Right. Right. And then Alchemy being the last, song off the last record exactly yeah that i okay so it was it was purposeful is is my point (laughs) yes yes he he thinks about that stuff a lot okay there there was i mean you know there's a certain thrill i would get every time i would hear the opening chords of one more time it just brings back so many great memories um from that album Uh, like growing up were you did you listen to his music or 
like, did you seek it out or did you just, if it was on in the background, it was, it was on in the background. Um, by the time 1979 rolled around, I was in heavy duty, pretty much jazz mode. Okay. I wasn't really paying attention to what was on the radio or rock music at all. Um, but that his music was huge and it was a big, big, uh, radio presence that year for us. So between that and the police and Van Halen and things that were that people were paying attention to that were my friends in school, um, he certainly came across my radar and I liked his music, um, uh-huh. but I couldn't seek it out or try to learn it or anything like that. And I wasn't like an active fan, but I wasn't an enemy either. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, it's funny because Doug, when I when I first met him and talked to him, he kind of said the same thing. He was aware, but he wasn't like actively aware, I guess. He didn't know the body of work. Right. Well, musicians, you know, we get into, especially when you're 14, 15, I was 14 years old when that album came out and I was into, you know, I was into weird jazz. I was into Dave Liebman and John Schofield before he was with Miles and like Bill Frisell and, and kind of, you know, New York jazz. Uh-huh. Um, and I was studying that a lot. And I, I think when you're that age, at least when I was that age, um, I was really uh, tunnel. I had tunnel vision about being a musician, you know, and just studying really hard and um, working on my craft. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have, I didn't. Uh, my attraction to music wasn't about playing in front of big audience like audiences, like I told you. Okay. So the kind of music that would be played in front of large audiences wasn't really what I was into then. Right. So then nowadays, if you could go out, what would be your ideal musical evening? If I could go out and see music or go out and play music? No, sorry, see music, yeah. Um, you know, it's got to be pretty special for me to want to go out and hear music. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm a stay-at-home kind of guy, mostly. Okay. Um, I like to work. I like to work on my own music, and uh, that takes up most of my time. But if somebody really special is to come out, well, most of them are dead. Um, <laughs> um, but... I guess if I was going to be pulled out of my room to go see something, it would probably be either Frizzell or, um, and everybody I'm thinking of is dead. It's fucked up. I don't know. They're all dead. I'm not coming up with anything. I'm sorry. I mean, I'm no, not okay. answering the question very well. <laughs> no, no, that's it's fine. You're being honest. But yeah. then, then another question I've asked people in the past is if you were a guest on a talk show, um, <laughs> yeah, and they were bringing you out to be interviewed. What song would you want the band to play you out to? Wow, that's yeah. really strange. <laughs> um, I don't know. Well, I guess you know any musician would probably want the band to play their own song, and you'd want to hear them do a good version of it. Right? Okay, sure. I don't think I'm famous enough to be interviewed on like Jimmy Fallon or anything, but it would be really fun to hear the roots play one of my songs. Okay. There you go. I I always felt bad for like the cast of friends when it was, you know, 12 or 15 years after the show was off the air and they'd come out and they'd be playing that, repl- uh, the uh, Rembrandt song. I was like, come on. 
Can you come up with another song, please? <laughs> um, what else can I ask you? Do you like what's next for you? You're going to be working. I know you have some CDs out there. I'm working on a, a new band that I put together. Um, I, had a, <clears throat> I had a band in the early '90s called Gnome Sane. Okay. It was me and to- Tony Cher. He, he's a bass player in town, and Brian Dunn, the drummer who plays the Hall of Notes, and a saxophone player named Andy Middleton. And we played sort of like humorous, Zappa-influenced, funky jazz, I would say. Okay. Um, so you guys are- and I put the band back together. The, the band had various configurations throughout the years. It started in 1988 with a bunch of dudes and ended with those guys. Um, and when I started the band, it was with my best friend, Matt Miller, on drums. He's a Long Island drummer. Okay. Um, so when I was putting together a studio for Matt to get his drums recorded and we just started playing, and it felt really good. It felt like, wow, this is so easy. I don't even have to think about anything playing with this guy. It's like our rhythm just fits perfectly. So um, I got my other best friend, Bob Stander, in to come and play bass with us. And we just started getting together and making songs. And every time we got together, we'd spend a few hours and come up with something that sounded like a song. Um, I've been doing vocal music for the last 10 years or so. And with this thing, I wanted to do some instrumental music and just try to play the guitar. Shut up and play your guitar, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what we've been doing with this. And uh, before the virus took over, we had nine songs in the can. Oh, wow. Um, and then we did another song remotely after all the after the lockdown. And that's going to be our first release. Yeah, so we're probably going to release like one song a month for the next 10 months or so. And that'll be on your website? Everywhere. Anywhere I can put it, it'll be. Okay. I'm, and I'm I'm working. One of the other things I'm doing during the lockdown is learning how to use Premiere and Final Cut to make music videos of the songs. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. They're, they're funny instrumental songs. They need some kind of video to help them out. Right. Right. Visually so, describe them. Is it fair to say that you you kind of you embrace the new tech or the new you embrace technology and you you do like to learn current technologies? I guess. Oh yeah, yeah. Totally. Yeah. No but reason to not do that. You don't want to use a a razor and reel to reel anymore. Nah. <laughs> Those days are done. <laughs> That wasn't even fun when when it was happening. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I was I spoke actually to a woman uh, Susan Rogers who was a, a sound engineer for Prince. Oh yeah. And she was she was talking about the the razor blade and and reel to reel days. She kind of missed them. Mm-hmm. Well, she was probably good at it. Yeah. <laughs> so there's no. She's an, actual, she's, an, she's an actual engineer. I'm, I'm a sort of engineer by default because I didn't have any money to pay anybody to be an engineer so but engineer by the way yeah well it's funny my on my uh ipad cover that i am holding in front of me i actually have the sticker from the backstage pass from the july 17th show that i uh saw you guys at in i think that was the harrisburg show 
Yeah, I remember that was a good show. And I remember those friends who came down. Oh, you do? It was fun. Yeah. Were you backstage? Yeah, yeah. Doug had uh, brought us backstage. I think actually I I may have snuck into a picture that somebody took of the group. Oh, yeah. We we had a picture with a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. So my wife and I are in that picture. I'm the guy with the beard and not very good looking. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Okay. Well, I'm honest. I'm honest. Um, (laughs) Well, you know, Teddy, I hope that when all of this is over, I want to get to New York and, you know, see things and and meet some of the people I've talked to if they're willing to meet me in person again. Um, Because it's really, honest to God, it's a thrill when I get a chance to talk to people uh, who have entertained me, you know, with live music. And like I said, when I heard those opening chords of one more time that you played. It just brought back so many wonderful memories. Um, and, you know, I just want to thank you for being a part of that, that, uh, that experience. It really meant a lot to me. Oh man. I'm glad you enjoyed it. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you could attest the power of live music is pretty special. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, I'm going to let you go. I appreciate this call. I appreciate you taking the time during this pandemic. I mean, you know, we're musicians at home with nothing to do. All we got is time. (laughs) Well, I'll keep, I'll keep watching you on Facebook. If you, you know, pop up with another live thing. Uh, They're fun to watch, but take care. We do a, we do a a sort of weird avant-garde show every day at six o'clock every weekday. It's called, it's just called show. Show and that just in, in, in quotation marks. It's on my band page on Facebook. All right. And it's uh, it's just a silliness, just some weird trying to play together online craziness. That's great. <laughs> well, thank you, and I'm gonna I'm gonna check it out this evening. Cool, man. All right. Take care. Be safe. All right, John. Thanks so much. No problem. Thank you. Bye. He was just so wonderful. It was so great to talk to Teddy. So now I've uh, interviewed, I've spoken with Doug, I spoke with Teddy, I'm going to work my way next to Graham, fingers crossed, and then, uh, you know, get the keys to the kingdom, hopefully, and uh, talk to Joe. And then if that happens, I'm done, I retire, I'm out, we're done. Because uh, that'll be the one I've, uh, I've wanted, that'll be my white whale. So, what did we learn? Well, we learned that there's a dress code, and we learned that he likes Frank Zappa, and we learned that he started his first band when he was eight years old. So, like I said earlier, you can find Teddy uh, online at teddyjam.com, and that has links to all of his uh, various channels. His social media presence can be found there. And um, check him out online, on Facebook, where he does the show, show. Uh, nightly around six o'clock and uh, keep listening to me god thank you so much this has been great this is seven in a row which not since i first started doing this did i do seven in a row i'm at 41 now episodes i'm almost at my age in episodes and uh that'll be uh, you know in the next few weeks hopefully we're going to get back to normal soon um you can find me online at the real john baker on twitter john baker on facebook uh, the website is the number two, the word lazy, the number two, the word right.com. And I want to thank once again, Teddy, for 
agreeing to be interviewed. I want to thank you for listening. I want everybody to stay safe and, you know, keep washing those hands and don't go protest. Uh, go protest if you want, but ugh, don't go protest. <laughs> and take care of yourselves. And thank you again for listening. It's been a lot of fun. It's Too Lazy to Write. That's the podcast. And I am your host, The Real John Baker. And I will talk to you soon. Too lazy to write. We're